Good morning. Welcome to the Unitarian Universalist Church of Kent. We gather as a diverse and inclusive spiritual community that seeks to inspire love, work for justice, and grow in community. This is a place where you can bring your whole self, your full identity, your questioning mind, and your expansive heart. Ours is a church that strives to practice the fragile heart art of hospitality. So we're going to greet each other, but I would encourage you during this cold and flu season to be mindful of those who might be coming down with something. Our, our, worship, our worship leader today, Kathy, is, feels like she might be, so she won't be shaking hands after service, but we're doing elbows. So we invite you to take a moment now to turn and greet those around you. And I think now we have a special announcement. I'm not sure. Oh. Out of my way, lady. <laughs> what are you laughing at? Somebody's bucking for size 11 concrete elf shoes. Tra-la, tra-la. So do I look like a superhero? Of course not, because I ain't. I'm your fairy godfather, you know what I mean? <laughs> and I'm your worst nightmare, because I'm the guilt you're going to feel if you don't go to the church auction dinner next Saturday night, December 7th, the superhero dinner. You got that? December 7th, United Church of Christ. It's over day somewhere. I think that's right. So... Buy your tickets today. You know, you don't want to be a schmuck and wait to the last minute. Because them auction people, they got to know how much rigatoni to buy from my Goomba, Vinny, down at Davides. And you know, Goomba Vinny loves to sell rigatoni. Capiche? Ah, there you go. You my people. There's a couple of dames down there. I think they're up here now. You know, they'll be glad to take your money for the auction next, next Saturday. You know, kind of like I used to do. But except now, this time, you get something for it. So be a super... Hey, and then, you know what? I was just told that you can just email them. Tell them you're coming. You don't even have to pay your money up front. They know where you live. <laughs> All right? So just let them know today. And then show up. So be a superhero. Go to the church auction at United Church of Christ, December 7th. That's next Saturday. You got that, capiche? Uh, yeah. You don't want to disappoint your fairy godfather, do you? No. Tra-la. Let the buying begin heralded the headline in a recent morning newspaper. Yes, here we are in that season of great consumerism when we are encouraged to buy more than we need and maybe much more than we can afford. The steady bombardment of ads will intensify until Christmas and will assault us with attempts to, give, to get us to believe that more is better and that happiness can be purchased in a department store. As Unitarian Universalists, how do we confront these societal challenges? 
We are called to not only respect the interdependent web of all existence, but to celebrate the sacred circle of life and live in harmony with the rhythms of nature. Our UU principles and sources buck a throwaway culture that spends an average of $1,700 per family per year on clothing, but discards more than 68 pounds of clothing per adult each year. The average American household has more than 300,000 items and often turns to rented storage units to squirrel away their excesses. In this country of abundance and affluence, living simply can be difficult. A minimalist lifestyle can seem impossible at times, yet we must challenge ourselves and our children to be good stewards of the earth and intentionally cultivate living with what we need and less with what we want. In the words of author Joshua Becker, freedom from the passion to possess allows us to step off the treadmill of consumerism and dares us to seek happiness elsewhere. Minimalism values relationships, experiences, and soul care. It lets us see all that we already have and reminds us to be grateful. In doing so, we find a more abundant life. And in doing so, we may listen in stillness to what the earth requires of us. Come, let us worship together. I'm going to be Colleen at this service because she had to leave to take care of a, a child who needed attention. Um, so but this is put together by Colleen. And she put this together after we talked about how today's service was going to talk about plastic pollution. And she brought some items that she recently picked up trash items that she picked up recently on a walk around. And you might notice these as common items that you oftentimes see out in our environment, unfortunately. And so for our Time for All Ages today, what we wanted to do was to tell you about these two amazing girls living in England who are, at the time they started a group called Kids Against Plastic, they were 10 and 12 years old. And here is their story of why they formed that organization to bring attention to the problem of plastic pollution. For us, our desire to make a positive change began when we began studying the UN Global Goals. The Global Goals consist of 17 world goals which 193 world leaders have pledged to try and achieve by 2030. The goals consist of things like ending poverty, fighting inequality, and tackling climate change. But one goal that really piqued their interest was number 14, life below water. It was through this we came across the disastrous impacts that plastic pollution was having on our environment. Plastic pollution was something we had, of course, come across before. We can all walk along the street and see plastic bottles or a plastic paper bag tangled in a tree. But the scale of the problem is what blew us away. To say we were shocked by what we discovered would be an understatement. 
Little did we know that the plastic items we used and disposed of without much thought would actually be around on the planet forever. Or that such a thing as the Great Pacific Garbage Patch existed, a swirling mass of plastic caught in one of the ocean gyres, natural currents caused by the Earth's rotation. We found out about the issues with the recycling of plastic bottles and how very little of them are actually made into new things, and also about the thousands of microbeads that make up the shampoo and body scrubs and toothpaste we use every day. But what shocked us more than all the facts we discovered was how barely known they were at the time and how if eco-conscious consumers did want to make more sustainable choices, they weren't given the option. So that's when we began our campaign, Kids Against Plastic. I think our parents were a little surprised when we announced that our first goal was getting the supermarkets in the UK to to stock non-plastic packaged water alternatives and and to get single-use plastic bottles off the shelves. It was a big goal, but we were determined, and still are, that we could make it happen. We chose plastic bottles as our target, as they're practically unnecessary in the UK, and there are alternatives out there for them. This brings us to now. We've picked up over 60,000 pieces of single-use plastic litter and developed an app to log it. You can go on their website if you want to add to their account of plastic picked up. Done our own TED Talk and gathered a team of incredible kids around the UK who are tackling plastic pollution. But this campaign isn't just about us. This is our story, but now we want you, your friends, your family, everyone to join a movement of people that are breaking their plastic habits and lobbying for change. After all, if we want change to happen, we have to make it happen. And that's exactly what we're trying to do. with you this prayer. Amid all the noise in our lives, we take this moment to sit in silence, to give thanks for another day, to give thanks for all those in our lives who have brought warmth and love, to give thanks for the gift of life. We know we are on our pilgrimage here, but a brief moment in time. Let us open ourselves here, now, to the process of becoming more whole, of living more fully, of giving and forgiving more freely, of understanding more completely the meaning of our lives here on earth. 
On a mystic endless ocean Where the world lay in a dream There was rhythm in the splash and roll But not a voice to sing So the moon fell on the breakers As the morning warmed the waves And a single cell did jump and hum In joy as though to say This is my home This is my only home This is the only sacred ground That I have ever known Should I stray In the dark night alone Rock me goddess in the gentle arms of Eden Now the day shone bright and rounder As the one turned into two And the two into ten thousand things And old things into new And on some virgin beachhead One lonesome critter crawled As he looked about he shouted out In his most astonished straw This is my home This is my only home This is the only sacred ground That I have ever known Should I stray in the dark night alone? Rock me, goddess, in the gentle arms of Eden. And all the sky was buzzing, and the ground was carpet green, as the weary children of the woods were dancing in between. So the people sang rejoicing As the fields were glad with grain From their songs of celebration And the cities on the plain This is my home This is my only home This is the only sacred ground That I have ever known Should I stray In the dark night alone Rock me goddess in the gentle arms of Eden Now there's smoke across the harbor and factories on the shore And the world is ill with greed and will and enterprise of war But I will lay my burdens in the cradle of your grace In the shining beaches of your love, in the sea of your embrace This is my home, this is my only home This is the only sacred ground that I have ever known should I stray in the dark night alone? Rock me, goddess, in the gentle arms of Eden. Rock me, goddess, in the gentle arms of Eden. This is a reading from Voluntary Simplicity by Duane Elgin. Industrialized nations have entered a transitional time. We are like adolescents who face the irreversible fact of aging and the unavoidable necessity of assuming the difficult responsibilities of adulthood. We are confronted with the challenge of moving beyond our civilizational adolescence and into a new stage of maturity. As we experience the waning of the industrial era and the great uncertainty at having to make our way in a world that seems barely comprehensible, we may feel a great longing for our, for our earlier innocence. 
Yet, is our, yet it is our responsibility to reestablish our relationships with the world in a manner that holds the prospect of building a sustainable and satisfying future. Whole new dimensions of human opportunity await us if we challenge, if we rise to the challenge of living more consciously and simply. So I thought I would start this service today actually with an eco-confession. Many years ago, my husband and I got interested in voluntary simplicity. And at its essence, voluntary simplicity is the philosophy of living one's life in alignment with one's values. It's about using your own internal compass to make life choices rather than simply flowing along in the mainstream current. It's about bringing a thoughtful presence to our decisions and actions, both small and large. My husband and I spent a good bit of time talking about how we wanted to live our life, and one of the areas where we both felt some passion was in acting as good stewards to the earth. As we committed to reducing our environmental impact, we tried to learn, reflect, and make good choices. The first house we bought was small, less than 800 square feet, and we were glad given its size to have low energy use. We tried to buy used items when it was feasible or new ones that we took care of so they would last for a long time. And of course, we recycled. As our family grew and we moved on to bigger houses, we inevitably had to buy more stuff, but we tried to pay attention to our decisions. We bought locally made sturdy wood furniture from the Amish. We tried to minimize our use of the air conditioner. We bought Lovac paints and put bamboo flooring in one of our houses. For a while, we got by with just one car. We tried to buy cars that got decent gas mileage, and we drove our cars until it really wasn't feasible to do so any longer. We began to cook more vegetarian meals. These things were all good, but I want to humbly say that I know many of you listening to this could tell similar stories, choices you made with the environment in mind. My family's choices were not really extraordinary, but at least we got the satisfaction of knowing that we were taking positive steps. Recently, however, I've begun feeling disenchanted with my environmental commitment. About 15 years ago, we had considered putting solar panels on a house we own, which would have made us early adopters in Ohio, but decided it was too shady on the roof. Several years later, we had to remove the dying tree that provided all that shade, and I wish now we had revisited the decision about solar panels, but we did not. We looked into buying a hybrid car when we bought a new car five years ago, but had trouble finding one we liked, and we ended up with a gas-powered car that gets good but not great mileage. As my allergies have worsened, I found myself using the air conditioner in my home steadily more. And when we moved this past summer and were packing and weeding out items, my son said, for people who don't seem to buy a lot, how did our family acquire so much stuff? <laughs> Can you hear the disappointment and heavy heart as I confess these things? But I'm not standing here just to get your sympathy, because along with the disappointment, I got annoyed with myself, and that was motivating. That was when I decided I needed to up my game. 
While we can critique choices we made in the past, those are done, and I think it's best to keep focused forward when we know a change is needed. And I've shared my own struggles so that maybe as you reflect on this service, it will be motivating and inspiring to you if, like me, you are wondering how you can up your own commitment to protecting the environment. One of the seven principles that Unitarian Universalist congregations covenant to affirm and promote is respect for the interdependent web of all existence of which we are a part. We often think of this as our environmental principle, as respect for the interdependent web naturally includes the earth and the animals and the plants that live on it. This principle calls us to respect and care for the earth and to minimize any harm we do. Unfortunately, there are many ways we humans are having a negative impact on the earth. One area I've been learning about is our use of plastic. Plastic is everywhere in our environment. Susan Frankel, who wrote a book about plastics in the environment, says she wanted to try and go a whole day without touching plastic, but realized after she got up and went to use her toilet <laughs> that avoiding plastic would be impossible. So instead, she decided to catalog all of the plastic items she touched. In the first 45 minutes, that included no fewer than 44 items. When she then started writing down all the items she touched, she discovered that the ratio of plastic to non-plastic items was about two to one. It's easy to understand why plastic has become so ubiquitous in our environment as it is a material with a lot of good qualities. It is flexible and can be molded and shaped easily. Plastic is durable, strong, and lightweight. It can hold liquids and can be used to create hygienic products like IV tubing. It can be produced quickly and cheaply, which means it can be used to create pop products that are affordable to the masses. Plastics are made using waste products from the fossil fuels industry that might otherwise be simply discarded. But all is not well you are probably familiar with the concerns about plastics. Many are made with harmful chemicals to which both producers and consumers are exposed. For example, some plastics are made from chemicals that are known to disrupt endocrine functioning, and the vast majority of Americans have measurable levels of these substances in our bodies. It is estimated that the average American ingests a credit card worth of plastic each week through what they eat, drink, and breathe. The very things that make plastic desirable, their low cost and low weight, also create problems. The cheapness of plastic leads to a mindset to simply discard and replace rather than choosing reusable items and many lightweight items like plastic grocery bags easily blow in the wind and escape trash cans. There is also the fact that plastic does not degrade in a quick time frame. That durability is good for car parts, but less good for all those empty water bottles washing up on beaches. You might think, well, plastic water bottles are recyclable, so that's easy to solve. 
but actually because plastics are blended materials, they can be very hard to recycle and only about 10% of all plastic in the United States is actually recycled. Even water bottles, one of the easiest plastics to recycle, are only recycled 25% of the time. Bioplastics are supposed to degrade, but rarely do so. That only works if they are composted, and if they end up in a landfill, they don't decompose. When you buy a plastic product, it's best to assume that that product will stay on Earth forever. One of the most alarming problems with plastic is pollution of the oceans. Plastic is 10% of all garbage, but 60 to 80% of all beach debris. Lots of plastic is ending up in oceans where it gets ingested by sea creatures from plankton and birds to whales. You may have heard of the garbage patch in the Pacific Ocean and efforts to clean it up. Actually, the one in the Pacific Ocean that is the target of cleanup efforts is only one of several garbage patches in our world's oceans. There is so much trash accumulating in the oceans that it's estimated by 2050 the plastic garbage in the oceans will outweigh all the fish in the oceans. You might be wondering, how does all this plastic get into the ocean? It's not just litter bugs or trash blowing off garbage ships, but most of the trash comes initially from land sources. Our image of plastic pollution is bottle caps and milk jugs floating in the ocean, but much of the plastic in oceans is small, confetti-sized pieces of plastic that end up in rivers and streams and eventually in oceans. One important source of plastic water pollution is laundry. When we wash synthetic clothing, small plastic beads are shed that end up in our sewer system, but they are too small to be captured in our water, wastewater processing facilities, so they eventually end up in waterways. About one-third of the plastic in the oceans is from washing clothes. It's easy to get depressed when hearing about the problems of plastic pollution, but there are many books and websites out there now with ideas of how people can reduce their use of plastic. Before giving some specific examples, I would like to address the critique that our individual actions don't matter. Whenever I hear this, I think of the organic food market. Many years ago, I decided I wanted to start purchasing organic foods. They were much more of a niche market back then, expensive to buy and difficult to find in conventional grocery stores. I decided to start by buying just one organic food item a week. Did I think I was going to change the world by buying one package of organic raisins? That my actions were going to revolutionize food production in America? Of course not. It started as a way for me to feel some integrity in my food choices, to raise consciousness about food production, and to exert some influence on what foods my local markets would carry. Over time, I started buying more items. This included organic milk, which at the time was the only milk from cows not fed growth hormones. When I started buying organic milk, it was $8 a gallon and only available a few places. But you know what? It turns out a few other people also bought organic milk. And now you can buy it everywhere, including Walmart, and for much cheaper than $8 a gallon. 
Individual actions have small impacts, but when many people make a change, collectively it can have an impact. So how can we make choices to decrease plastic pollution? There are some inspiring examples out there. Beth Terry encourages people to move toward a plastic-free lifestyle as much as possible. She recommends trying the plastic trash challenge. Set aside all of your plastic trash for one week to learn how much plastic trash you generate and which items are most often in your trash. The point is not to feel guilty about and dwell on our actions, but to use the exercise as a way to identify ways we can make a change. Most people can't make sudden drastic changes in their use of plastic. It takes time to change habits. But everyone can start from where they are and consider what they can do. Some activists suggest consumers focus on eliminating single-use plastic. This would include plastic bags, plastic cutlery, disposable coffee cup lids, straws, and plastic drink bottles. Given that half of all plastics produced are single-use, eliminating or reducing their use would have a substantial impact. It is important to note, though, that simply substituting another single-use item, like paper grocery bags for plastic ones, is not necessarily better for the environment. Paper grocery bags use lots of water and trees in production, so a better option is to switch to bags that can be used repeatedly. Are there places where you could reduce your use of single-use plastic? For example, we are now taking bags to the store for our produce purchases, reusable bags, and we're trying to take containers with us when we eat out to use those for leftover, leftovers rather than bringing home containers. Recycling can have environmental advantages, including lower energy than producing new materials, and it, but it can also be what they sometimes call a guilt eraser, making people feel better, but unfortunately, just recycling products after use is the least helpful response. Certainly, we should try to recycle, but there is so much plastic that can't be recycled because it's difficult to separate out the component polymers used in production. The rules for what can be recycled are constantly changing, and people often wish cycle, throwing in items that can't be recycled, which contaminates a whole load that must then be sent to the landfill. High contamination rates in our recycled goods is why China now refuses to take U.S. recycling waste. The best thing we can do to reduce our use of plastic at the source is by decreasing our consumption of plastic. For things we're purchasing, we can ask, do I really need this? Will it bring joy? Could I buy it used instead of new? Could I repair an item I already have? If I'm only going to use this item once or rarely, could I borrow it from someone? Some towns have tool centers where tools can be borrowed and returned. Clothing is a huge source of trash, as Camille was mentioning, and I have wondered if the month before Halloween we could have a costume exchange at church. Why should we all buy new costumes and new accessories every year? 
We can eliminate all plastic, but we can focus on eliminating the most harmful ones. We can ask, is there an affordable alternative material I could buy that's more environmentally friendly? We can avoid bringing the most toxic plastics in our home. PVC, plastic number three, which is also called vinyl on packaging, is one of the most harmful plastics. It's the one we associate with that new plastic smell. We can try to avoid consumer products made from this material. Don't buy food in number three containers. And instead of vinyl products, buy shower curtain liners made from cotton or nylon and flooring that is linoleum, tile, or bamboo. If you're feeling inspired to decrease your use of plastics, you can take the plastic pledge that's included in your order of service. It covers the five R's of plastic use. Refuse to use single-use plastic items. Reduce your purchase of plastics. Reuse the plastics you have so they get full use. Recycle plastics at the end of their life. And rally others to the cause. The insert also includes on the back some resources in case you want to learn more about the plastic problem and solutions. Personal actions are helpful, but we need to think about systemic change also. As Annie Leonard says, the individual actions we take to reduce our impact help us find the flaws in the system that need to be changed. I think of them as metal detectors leading us straight to what is wrong. Why do I have to study Good Guide for hours to figure out which shampoo, sunscreen, and lotions don't have carcinogens and reproductive toxins? System flaws. Unfortunately, in the US, we have weak consumer protections. In Europe, the presumption is that companies must show products are not harmful before they can be marketed, whereas in the US, most consumer goods other than drugs are allowed to market without safety testing and are only withdrawn if later shown to be harmful. What if we had laws requiring companies to demonstrate the safety of their products? Large-scale solutions that regulate corporate behavior are important tools to decrease use of plastic. For example, some countries have laws that require companies to be responsible for a product for its entire life cycle. They are required to take back the products they produce when the consumer is done with the product. They are called extended producer responsibility programs. Although few states have these laws in the U.S., there are some companies leading the way. For example, Hewlett Packard will take back their print cartridges, Nike will take back their shoes, and Brita will take back water filters. Putting the burden on producing companies to handle the plastic waste naturally changes how they produce and, and package products. Governments can also create incentives that affect consumer behavior. An example are bottle deposit laws that require consumers to pay five to 10 cent deposit for each plastic bottle they purchase, which they can get refunded by returning the bottle to the store. 10 states have bottle deposit laws, including our neighbor Michigan, and they are quite effective. Plastic recycling rates are about three times higher in these states. These laws have been hard to pass in recent decades, but wouldn't it be great if Ohio could join that list? As recycling rates rise, it helps to ensure a steady stream of plastic for those companies that do want to recycle. For example, Coca-Cola, which uses 120 billion plastic bottles a year, 
has pledged to use 50% recycled plastic in their bottles by 2030, but they will need a steady recycle stream to, to achieve this. There have been laws to outlaw certain types of plastic bags. The cheap, lightweight grocery bag has been a target in many countries. Bangladesh became the first country to outlaw these bags. They took action because in monsoon season, the bags were washing into a clogging sewer drains and worsening flooding. Morocco was the second larger consumer of plastic bags after the US, but they banned them in 2016. Other places charge for bags. After businesses in the UK had to charge customers for them, use of plastic bags dropped 85%. Unfortunately, the state of Ohio is looking to go backwards. The state legislature is currently considering a law that would prohibit localities from passing laws that charge a fee for bags. Maybe at this point you're having the same rea reaction I had reading about plastic. Whew. There is a lot to learn, lots of choices to make, and some changes are harder than others. It's okay to feel dismayed about how we treat the earth, but getting bogged down in guilt is disempowering and self-defeating. As Colin Bevan says, there is such a thing as being overwhelmed and feeling the feelings and also putting one foot in front of the other at the same time. So I encourage you to focus on what you can do and celebrate your successes. Lessening our impact on the environment is a journey, not a destination. And in our church community, you can find lots of kindred souls who will help encourage you on your journey. If all the world were peaceful now and forevermore Peaceful at the surface, peaceful at the core All the joy within my heart would be so free to soar And we're living on a living planet, circling a living star I don't know where we're going, but I know we're going far we can change the universe by being who we are. We are living on a living planet, circling a living star. If all the world knew justice now and forevermore, justice at the surface, justice at the core, all the joy within my heart would be so free to soar. And we're living on a living planet, circling a living star. I don't know where we're going, but I know we're going far. We can change the universe by being who we are. And we're living on a living planet, circling a living star. If all the world knew freedom now and forevermore, Freedom at the surface and freedom at the core. All the joy within my heart would be so free to soar. And we're living on a living planet, circling a living star. If Mother Earth were honored now and forevermore, honored at the surface. 
and honored at the core All the joy within my heart would be so free to soar And we're living on a living planet Circling a living star I don't know where we're going But I know we've gone too far We can heal this planet By changing the way we are And we're living on a living planet Circling a living star And we're living on a living planet Circling a living star I send you off with these words from Edgar Guest. The things that haven't been done before are the tasks worthwhile today. Are you one of the flock that follows or are you one that shall lead the way? Are you one of the timid souls that quail at the jeers of a doubting crew? Or dare you, whether you win or fail, strike out for a goal that's new? Go in peace.